Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace to you, my friends, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this week's worship at First Presbyterian Church. And the message for this week, which was uh, Sunday, June 11th, is based on the, the very last part of John's uh, fifth chapter, the 17th, I'm sorry, 31st through 47th verses. And this is like the second part of a discourse, a, a, a speech, a teaching that Jesus is doing about his relationship with the Father. And so he really spends a lot of time talking about who he is. It's one of his kind of core teaching parts. And, and John's gospel in particular is one of the gospels that the early church turned to when they were trying to wrestle with the questions that we call Christology. Who is Jesus? Who is the Christ? What is what is this nature where he seems human and he seems divine and he seems connected to God and somehow he's the son of, of God. And so this is one of those places where he returns to and he's he's almost in the first part on, on trial. And so he's defending himself. And so he offers up a couple of witnesses as to why people to kind of defend himself, why people should believe what he says. And then the back half of, of today's scripture, he almost puts the people on trial. And he says, you know, you don't get it. You're the ones who are missing the point here. And and this is going to be on you. And so that's kind of the, the dynamic that we're going to see the flow of today's. So I hope that this week, the message is one that kind of helps draw you deeper into the mystery of Jesus and the mystery of God and the um, understanding of who we are and the, and the witness that God bears within us when we hear the gospel proclaimed in Jesus, when we read the scripture, when we think about these stories, the witness of the church about Jesus' work and active, his, his life and his ministry in activity in, uh, in our lives and the spirit within us saying yes, validating that. Yes, this is true. I can believe his words. So may it be a blessing to you and enjoy this week's message. Would you join me now for a prayer? Lord, we can turn our eyes to your scriptures, but without your Holy Spirit to be a lamp unto them, we won't see. And so we ask that you shed your light. You guide us. You lead us. You reveal yourself to us today through these ancient words of faithful people who are seeking you. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus, the Lord. Amen. Well, we're in the back half of John chapter 5, and we're continuing our way through the Gospel of John this year. And uh, this is actually kind of part two of what we started last week. So I want to give you a little bit of a reminder. Last week, Jesus was 
talking to a bunch of the Jewish leaders. He's in Jerusalem. He had just healed somebody. And when does he always heal people? It's always on the Sabbath, right? And they get worked up about that. And he says, my father is still at work and so am I. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. is he really saying what I think he's saying? And the thing that really scrambled people's eggs when Jesus was telling them about this nuanced relationship between him and his father wasn't the question, is Jesus like God? It was, what if God is like Jesus? Because that's, it's coming at the same thing, but from the opposite direction. What if God isn't actually like we thought God was like? Which is a question we should always be asking ourselves in light of the person, the life, the ministry of Jesus. What the Christian faith teaches us, that the most reliable way to know God isn't actually through a religion. It's not through a system of reward and punishment. It's through a person. It's through God's self-revelation, how God chooses to make himself known in a guy named Jesus. A guy who gave himself up, wounds and all, because that little move there, seeking to know God through the person of Jesus, that makes all the difference in the world. We realize we're dealing with a God who is very different than what most of us probably grew up thinking about. Because in Jesus, we see a God who would rather die than be in the sin accounting business anymore. In Jesus, we see a God who doesn't even lift a finger to condemn the people who put him to death. A God who went to the depth of hell rather than be separated even from those who betrayed him. A God unafraid to get his hands dirty out of love for us. And I'll remind you, Jesus is the one who says he is our judge. And so we can rest confidently in that. So now that's kind of the running start into this week's scripture. This is the second half of Jesus kind of talking about his relationship to the Father and what that means for his identity. And often in John's gospel, um, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I've, have you ever had that thing where your eyes just start watering kind of spontaneously? Yeah. It's a great timing right now. Yeah. Isn't aging lovely, right? Wake up with new aches and pains and weird things that your body does all the time. I know you guys are like, yeah, just wait. (laughs) So a lot of times in John's gospel, uh, we feel like we're in this trial scene. Okay, where it's like law and order, Jesus Christ edition. Uh, Then there's a lot of language in the first half of today's reading that makes us think like like a courtroom scene. There's language about judgment and testimony, which you can translate evidence or witness, right? This sounds familiar language to us. Okay, so in Jewish law, you can't testify on your own behalf. You're too self-interested, right? The temptation to bend the truth is too great. And so you have to have other people who are willing to stand up and testify on your behalf, to, you know, lift their name up and say, yeah, I vouch for this person. And so Jesus says, I can't testify for myself. And you're like, wait, what? Is he saying that? His testimony isn't valid. No, I don't think that's it. I think what he's saying is our law says we're not supposed to do this. So he points to three different places. He calls on three witnesses to testify to him. He calls on John the Baptist, 
the things that he does, his ministry, and the scriptures. Those are the three things that he calls upon. And all of these underlying them, like I said in the prayer for illumination, is God's spirit. Because you can, and a lot of people did, they went out and they saw John, and they said, wow, that's pretty interesting. That guy's dressed like a madman, and he's eating bugs. And that was it. And they walked away. Never changed any different. And then there were others who went out there and saw him, said, the Lord is speaking through this guy. Who, he, he's pointing to somebody else. Who's he pointing to? I need to go and find that out. And they found out about Jesus through him. And right, I kind of lift this up because God's the only one who can validate Jesus, authenticate, accredit the Messiah, right? None of us, I don't, you don't bring anybody to Christ. That's not our job. Nobody does that. Only God does that. That's the purview of God's Holy Spirit. What we do is we bear witness. We say, here's the story. Or we say, here's what God has done in my life. Here's how my life is different because Jesus is a part of it. Here's who I am now because of the work and the ministry and the life of Jesus. And we leave the rest up to God to take it from there. We trust that God's spirit is there convicting whenever Jesus' name is lifted up. I have to trust that. Because I know that when I stand up here, I am not going to convince anybody else. I know that my life is not adequate. My faith is not adequate. My example is not adequate. It's got to be something more than just that. It can't depend on us. We bear witness. Let God do his job. Do the rest. So Jesus calls on his first witness, John the Baptist. He says, you sent messengers to John and he testified to the truth. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. For a while. But I have a testimony greater than John's. Yeah. He was saying, you went out to John. You wanted to know what he was all about. And he was pointing to me. Why were you so enamored by him? Why were you so ready for him to point out the Messiah? But then when he did, you dropped it. The second witness that Jesus calls upon is God working through him and his ministry. He says, the works that the Father has given me to complete, the very works that I'm doing testify on my behalf that the Father has sent me. Right, and so in some ways, in a limited sense, this is the, the signs that he did. When he turned water into wine at that wedding in Cana. When he healed the paraplegic man. When he healed that royal official's son. When he goes and does greater things like this. Yes, in a way, that's it. Ultimately, it's the sign of his resurrection. Lifting him from the dead. He says, these are the things that God is doing in and through me. That bears witness to who I am. I am the son who was sent by the father. And then he bears a third witness. He says, the scriptures. The father who sent me has himself testified on my behalf. You've never heard his voice or seen his form. You do not know, I'm sorry, you do not have his word abiding in you because you don't believe him who was sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is those scriptures that testify on my behalf. 
and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What Jesus is doing here is he's addressing the key difference between the Jewish community that was reading the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. They were the only testament they had at the time. They were the the Hebrew scriptures. And the Christian community. Now, they didn't call themselves that. They were Jews who were following the Jewish Messiah. But they had this one difference that they believed that Jesus was the thing that all of the Hebrew scriptures were pointing to. And this has never stopped being a problem, this different way of viewing scripture, right? Scripture itself is not self-evident. You can't just give somebody a Bible and say, hey, read it, and then you're good. Okay, it doesn't work that way. If that were the case, there would be only one way of reading and interpreting the scriptures, and there would probably be only one church. And in case you haven't noticed, there's more than one church out there. Every time we read the scripture, it's an act of interpretation. Nobody just reads it objectively. We all have a place that we stand and view the scriptures from. The best that we can do is be honest about our perspective. Honest about where we're standing and where we're viewing it from. Now, the early Christians, because remember in John's community, they were part of the synagogue But after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, the synagogue leaders were really closing ranks. And they were trying to say, okay, these these people are part of us, and these people are not. And the Jesus as Messiah camp, they became the, "Mm, you're a little too far for us. And so they were being ostracized by the synagogue community. Well, the early Christians saw God's revelation in Jesus as being continuous, in line with those Hebrew scriptures. They saw the scriptures as pointing to him. They were reading Isaiah and they were saying like, yes, okay, this makes sense now. And they saw Jesus as like the key that unlocked their Bible, which by the way, I think is a really good way for all of us to be reading the scriptures. What what we do is we start with Jesus and then we read backwards using him as the the lens, as like the spectacles, as Uncle Calvin called them, that we look at scripture through. And we use Jesus as the lens through which we read forward. We read Paul through the lens of scripture and John in the Revelation through Jesus. The Jewish leaders, however, disagreed about this fine point of interpretation. And the irony here is that Jesus says, you're looking for eternal life. That's what you think you're going to find in the scripture. And Jesus says, I am the life. And you've been looking for it. You've been pouring over it. You've been searching it. And here it is right in front of you. And now that you found it, we don't want it. No. And so that's kind of the first half of this section here, where it feels like Jesus is kind of like on the defense. He's the defense attorney. But then in the second half, it's almost like he switches to the other side of the courtroom and he becomes the prosecuting attorney. And so instead of him being on trial, it's more like he's putting the people who he's talking to on trial. He said, I've come in my father's name, but you don't accept me. Yeah, somebody else comes in his own name, you accept him. How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? 
So what Jesus is doing here, he's accusing them of having really poor discernment. Because he knows how gullible we are. He knows how easy we can be conned. How we can be fooled by people who are really self-confident. Somebody who's really sure that they've got all the answers. And if you don't believe me, you just look at any cult leader. You look at any um, political messiah. I will solve your problems. I have the answers. Every dictator, every strong man that's out there. Who we want to follow because we trust in them. This, by the way, is why discernment is a gift of the Spirit, because it ain't easy. Right? It is hard. It is a gift. And Jesus is also pointing to the fact that the real goal of almost all human beings is to be admired, to be impressive. John's word here is to accept glory. Like, yeah, you want to accept glory from one another. John's saying that being impressive to others is like the most ubiquitous idol of all of humanity. And I think that is absolutely true. I know in my weaker moments, I want you to admire me. I want you to be impressed by me. I want you to go tell your friends about me and how wonderful I am. Yeah, I do. The operative word here is me. It's about me and my pride. And my guess is some of you share in that too. Jesus challenges us to seek glory that comes from God. And guess what? God's glory, it's not as flashy. It's not as impressive. It's not going to make your friends go, ooh. But it's real. And it's deep. And it's what matters. It's the only thing that matters. So Jesus' speech here ends in this really surprising twist. He says that the prosecutor, the one who's accusing you, it's actually not me. It's actually the guy who you thought was in your corner the whole time. It's Moses. And they, they're like, what? He says, don't think that I accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you set your hope. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This is a gutsy move. He's turning their hopes back on themselves. Their foundation. He's saying, if you're a follower of Moses, you should be a follower of Jesus. He's saying the whole point of the law wasn't to show off, wasn't to look good, wasn't to be impressive, wasn't to be admired. It was to bring you to the Messiah. That's the point of the Hebrew scriptures. And if it doesn't do that, you stand accused. He's saying it was part of God's plan that the Jewish scriptures tell this story that climaxes in the person of Jesus. God's scriptures, all this law and all these rules and all these regulations talking about how to live a good human life in relationship with God and in relationship with one another about these sacrifices and the right sacrifice and the right way to do it and how you have to do it, when you have to do it. All of that for our sin wasn't so that we could brag about how well we did it, but it was to point to the one who takes away sin. The Lamb of God. 
the one truly human one. The one whose sacrifice takes away not the sins, but the sin. Capital T, capital S. The sin. Ultimately, this is about how we engage with our sacred texts. And this is where it gets real for us, right? Because we weren't there. We have our relationship mediated through the church, through these scriptures, through the preaching of the scriptures, through our prayer life. Jesus' charge to the Jewish leadership is you're reading the right book, but you're reading it the wrong way. And man, does that still happen today? And I, I walk on ground where angels fear to tread here because I'm not assuming that I've got the right way, right? I've got all the answers. But think of words like infallibility, inerrancy, fundamentalism, literalism. Think of reading the Bible as like a secret code that you, if you have the right decoder ring, you can figure out the message that's in there. Or think about those who read the Bible as if there's like a one-to-one correlation between this prophecy and that thing that's going on in Iran or in Syria or in Lebanon or in Palestine, right? You just fill in the blank, whatever's happening right now in Ukraine. There are wrong ways, I think, of reading these scriptures. Bible study, reading these scriptures, seeking to learn anything other than God and Christ is just a little off-centered. Because guess what? The Bible's not about the Bible. The Bible's about Jesus. The Bible wasn't meant to be an encyclopedia of religious facts that you can memorize and spit out. The Bible isn't life. The Bible points to life because it points to Christ. And you can be a great student of the Bible and you can miss that. And I'm sure that I do that myself sometimes. Now, in the Presbyterian world, the language that we use about our scriptures, about the Bible, is not inerrancy. It's not infallibility. We say that the scriptures bear unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ. They bear unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ. We get our direction from Christ, not biblical principles, because guess what? I, can, I could do this if I wanted to. I could take 10 biblical principles and just twist them any way I wanted to. And a lot of good people out there do that as well. People who are good at that. Every piece of scripture must be brought before the scrutiny of the Messiah. And he needs to be the lens through which we read it. But there are other ways of reading the right book in the wrong way. Okay, it's easy to be attracted to the study of the Bible as an exercise in intellectual brilliance so others will be so impressed with you. This is the academic's um, temptation. Or here's another way. You can use it and know those scriptures so well so that you got the right scripture to, to just take out and club somebody over the head with whenever you need to. Right? That's the fundamentalist temptation. And then here's another one that I think, I, at least me, I don't know about you, but this is the one that I'm more susceptible to. It's possible to allow the study of Scripture to become a substitute for the personal relationship. Right? To, supposed to bring us into the presence of the living God. But it just becomes an exercise in study. And it's deceptively easy to know everything there is to know about the Jewish Messiah but not know the Messiah. So I'm not saying we check our brains at the door. 
I'm not saying we just look for warm, fuzzy feelings around Jesus. To read the Bible in the light of Jesus actually demands more thought, not less. But this study and thought must always pass from here down to here. You've heard that this 12 inches is like the longest distance in the world, right? Because that's what it's supposed to be, to move from here to here. But then guess what? It comes from here back up and then back down, and it keeps making this loop. And I think that's what God is calling us to as we engage with these scriptures. So uh, next week, we're going to be outside, but we're going to be talking about getting back into the narrative of things that Jesus did. But this was his big divinity discourse, his teaching on who he is in relationship to the Father. And that's really going to kind of propel us into the rest of the gospel. So let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, thank you for the gift of the witness within us. Somehow, your spirit has prompted us, has moved us, has spoken within our hearts when we've heard these scriptures read, when we've read them for ourselves, when we've heard about what you have done, when we've seen others bear witness to you. Lord, we ask that you help move from our head into our hearts, that we not just try to learn a lot about you, but that we move into worship, adoration, to prayer. That we seek to walk this journey with you, with you at the center. Father, we pray all this in the one who is the center of our life, Jesus the Christ, the Lord, the Savior, our key to all these scriptures. Amen. Well, thank you, friends, for joining us for another week's message as we continue our journey through John's gospel. And if you are ever in town on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, please join us here at First Presbyterian Church. And if you're going to be around this next week, we're going to be worshiping out in Monroe Park, which is just a couple blocks over. It's on uh, 30th and Quincy. So please do come bring a chair, bring a, a picnic blanket. We're going to have a little picnic afterward and some activities and games for families. Um, and then, of course, you can always watch us, the full service, on our YouTube channel. Just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden on YouTube, and you'll find us there. Um, and then if you'd like to support the ministry of our church, the work that we do, this podcast, our live stream, the mission that we engage in to be a blessing to Ogden and to be light and salt of Jesus here, please go to our website and you can, you can uh, financially support the, the ministry that way, www.fpcogden.org. Well, thank you, my friends, and until next week, we'll see you.